0: You're listening to a Sun Life podcast. We pray that you be blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information, visit sunlife.org.au. Enjoy the sermon. This morning, here we are going to continue on with our Mark preaching series. Now, this morning's passage is very controversial, uh, very difficult, quite confusing. It's in Mark chapter 13. Uh, if you have your Bible, turn with me now to Mark chapter 13. And I'm only gonna go through the first 13 verses. Uh, open your Bible and look at your subheading, subtitle. Uh, I, my Bible says it's the destruction of the temple and the end times. Uh, some Bible might have the signs of the end of the age. You know, as soon as we you know, look at the phrase End of the age or end times. Sometimes we get a bit overexcited. We're thinking about, wow, this is it. If I understand this chapter here, I can predict when he is going to come back. You're going to think about Armageddon. You're going to think about the rapture. You know, am I going to be taken away? Am I going to be left behind? The thousand-year reign. You know, the, the final battle. And and sometimes, as Christians, um, we may get a bit. I guess, fixated with the end times and what is to come, and that becomes a major thing, yeah? In fact, in the Bible, eschatology, the study of end times, is actually not a major doctrine. It's a minor thing, all right? And so when a minor thing becomes a major thing, and that causes kind of like division and like fractions, it's not a good thing. All right, and so we must always remember in scripture when we look at scripture if it's a major, let's discuss the major, let's agree in the major. But if it's a minor, we can have differences, right? And so, as I unpacked just the first 13 verses of this chapter, you may disagree with me, that's okay, we can still be friends, all right? We're still in the same team, it's a minor. But what I want to say is this that when you read the text, right, especially Chapter 13, um, it's quite difficult because the language shifts. There are certain parts of chapter 13 where we should take it literally, and there are certain parts of chapter 13 where it's more figuratively. All right? There are certain parts of chapter 13 where it's going to happen around the corner in their lifetime, and there are certain parts of chapter 13 where it's going to happen sometime in the future. And so it's quite confusing because the scripture that we have today, we need to understand there are many types of literary styles, okay? Sometimes when you're reading the scripture, it's historical, okay? And that's quite easy to understand. That's history. Sometimes in scripture, it's more of a story, it's narrative, all right? Sometimes in scripture, it's poetic, they're poems, all right? Sometimes in scripture, it's apocalyptic, where it's more imagery, yeah, And so when we read scripture, we cannot just go, okay, this is what it means, and take it literally and apply today's understanding into the text. We can't do that. Every time we read scripture, we have to ask ourselves the question, the genre, you know, what's going on? What's the author's intention? Who's the audience? And that's where I guess as a preacher, I do my study, I do my research, and hopefully when I unpack the text, I give you an accurate Uh, I guess, explanation of the text. So this morning's text here is in chapter 13. It's known as the Olivet Discourse, also found in Luke 21, Matthew 24, and it talks about the destruction of the temple and what is to come. Okay? And so I want you to just keep that in mind. I'm going to pray and we're going to go through verse by verse. Yeah? Let me pray. Father, thank you always for the joy, yeah, just the privilege to uh, teach your word, and I pray that you would help me to teach this well, and that every one of us will lean in and we will just take something away, encouraged to keep loving Jesus, to keep serving Jesus, to keep knowing Jesus, to keep proclaiming Jesus. So would you help me right now? I need your strength. In your son's name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, if you have your Bible, turn with me now to Mark 13, verses 1 onwards. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. The context here is just previously, Jesus enters the the temple of Jerusalem And this is where God would dwell and do His thing with His people. But if you remember in the previous chapter, Jesus is not impressed, right? He notices that you know there's corruption with the high priests and the teachers of the law. He's noticing in the temple they're selling and they're buying things. So he turns the table. Remember, he says that this should be a house of prayer. You've made into like a den of robbers. And the only thing that really impressed Jesus was this old lady. She's a widow and she's giving two copper coins and that moved him. And that's the end of chapter 12. And now he begins to leave this temple and the disciple says, "Wow, what a great building. That's amazing. Those huge stones. You know, for the Jewish people, the Temple of Jerusalem, it was their identity. It was their pride and joy. Our God dwells here. This is us. And this, this building was huge. There's a picture right here, of this building right here. Go to the next slide. That's the picture of the building right there. right? It's massive. All right They say the stones to build these buildings, this building here, one stone right could be around five meters wide, five meters high, and around 15 to 20 meters long. So, like, you could probably fit two or three of those stones in our auditorium. And one of these stones would weigh around 500,000 kilograms. How they moved these stones, I have no idea. It was their, you know, pride and joy. It reminded me of when I was in Queensland. I drove past the big pineapple. Like, look at this big pineapple. Like, if you live in the Sunshine Coast and, you know, you're... You live here. That's your pride and joy. Come. Come to my city. Check out the big pineapple, right? And for the Jewish people, it was a bit like that. This was our pride and joy. This is great, right? And, and what does Jesus, what does he do? He says in verse 2, Do you see all these great buildings? Not one stone here will be left On another everyone will be thrown down that's that's wrong Jesus why would you say that Jesus this is our identity this is our temple like you're telling me that not one stone will be left on another and so right here what Jesus is doing is that he is actually prophesying that there will be a day when this temple will be completely destroyed and it did take place 40 years later Because when Jesus made this prophecy, it would have been around maybe 31, 32 AD. But by the time we get to 70 AD, 40 years later, in one generation, this temple completely destroyed. What I showed you there was a model, not the actual picture. When you go to Jerusalem, you don't see that. You actually see just the Western wall because it was completely destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. And so when the disciples heard this, they were like, what are you talking about? How can God allow his temple to be destroyed? And Jesus says that it will take place. And so for the the disciples, in their mind, when they heard this, they were thinking, this is the end of the world. For Jewish people, everything revolved around Jerusalem. So if the temple would be completely destroyed... This is the end of the world. And that's the reason why, right, in Matthew's version, go with me to Matthew 24, verse 3. They said this, When will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Can you see that? They were like, you must be coming back. When this takes place, you're coming back. Well, in verse 3, let's go back there. As Jesus was sitting... On the Mount of Olives, opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew. So now they've left the temple. They've passed the Kidron Valley. They're on the opposite side. On the east side, they're looking at this beautiful temple right here, right? And now four disciples says, Jesus, you know what you were prophesizing when we were leaving the temple about the destruction? They says, tell us, when will these things happen? What will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? You notice what they said? Jesus, tell us when, when will it take place, and what should we be looking for? And Jesus does not answer that question. He doesn't. In fact, Jesus doesn't even know when he's coming back. The only person that knows when Jesus will return is the Father. Go with me to the very end of chapter 13, verse 32. But about that day or hour, no one knows, Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, that's Jesus, but only the Father. That's why when I hear pastors or preachers or prophets who tells me or people that they know when Jesus will come back, I find that very hard to believe. And if you hear of anyone who tells you that, yep, he's going to come back around the corner, sell all your belongings, get your white robes ready because he's going to zap you up, my advice is, your pastor, just don't believe them. I find it very hard to because if Jesus himself says, he doesn't know when, then why would I wanna trust someone else other than my Jesus? I'm not gonna worry about when is he gonna come back. I'm not gonna worry about what it's gonna look like or how. I know he's gonna come back. I'll leave the when with the father. And I'm not going to spend all my time and energy trying to calculate this and figure this out because that's not the point of Scripture. That's not the point of the Olivet Discourse in chapter 13. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great English um, preacher, he says this, and I quote him, the great doctrine of the second coming has, in a sense, fallen into disrepute because of this tendency on the part of some, that some Christian to be more interested in the how and the when of the second coming rather than in the fact of the second coming. What he's saying is this, it's going to happen. Forget about the nitty-gritty. He's coming back. Know that he's going to come back. Don't waste your time and any trying to work out and pinpoint, oh, all these wars, oh, the famine, oh, the stars are aligned, there was a, like a red moon just recently, he's coming back. Don't get caught up in that. He is coming back, all right? And We need to know that he's going to come back and we need to live, right, with the end in mind, knowing that the end is around the corner. And so as we look into this, Jesus begins to tell the disciples, this is how you should live when the temple begins to fall. This is how you should live when the Son of God returns. And I believe that's what we need to understand this morning as we study the text. So there's two things I want to teach you, how to live knowing that He will return one day. The very first thing is this, stand firm. Stand firm. Live a life where you are standing firm in the Lord. Stand firm. No matter how hard life gets, no matter how crazy things get, stand firm. All right? Look in verse 5. He says to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am He, And will deceive many. You see, Jesus says, stand firm. There's going to be people who are going to come. There's going to be deception. There's going to be confusion. Stand firm. Messiahs will come and claim to be me. Stand firm. During Jesus' time, he was not the only Messiah. There were many Messiahs. There were many who claimed to be the Messiah. But Jesus was the true Messiah. And what Jesus says is that when I'm not around, there will still be more that will come who claims to be me. Stand firm. Ignore them. He says, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nations will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. So he's saying, there'll be wars and there'll be famine and there'll be all these rumors. All right? Stand firm. There's a war every day. Just because there's a war in the Middle East, it doesn't mean he's coming back next year. All right? Just stand firm. He says, there'll be what? Earthquakes. There'll be famine, And he says, these are the beginning of what? Birth pains. The language of birth pain is to teach the disciples that we don't know when he'll come back, but he will come back. Now, for any mothers here who've given birth, you know this, right? Just because there's a contraction, all right? It doesn't mean the baby will be born immediately, all right? You don't know how long is the length of labor, all right? It could be one hour. It could be, I've heard of someone over 12 hours, God bless that person, right? But we don't know when. But we know the baby will be delivered, right? And that's what he's saying. With the birth pains, you just don't know when, right? But it will happen. So don't get too caught up. Just because there's a war right now in the Middle East or there's lots of wars, don't get caught up and start selling things and start getting ready because he's going to return. You just don't know. And that's what we see right here. Verse 9, you must be on your guard, You'll be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them, and the gospel must be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given to you at the time, for it is not you speaking but the Holy Spirit. Brothers will betray brothers to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against his parents. And they'll put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. So what he's saying? He's saying to these disciples, when the persecution comes, there'll be suffering. You'll be flogged. You'll stand before governors. You'll be in prison. It's not going to be nice. Stand firm. Do you know in 70 AD, when the Romans came to destroy Jerusalem, they say some 1.1 million Jews lost their lives. Christians, this is very scary, Christians, right, they were covered in wax, lit alive as candles for the emperor's garden parties. Christians were thrown into arenas filled with lions to be eaten alive. That's the type of persecutions they were experiencing. And Jesus says, stand firm, stand firm. He talks about how brothers will betray brothers. See that? A father, his child, children will rebel against their parents. Friends, not all Christians went to their deaths singing praise songs. Some Christians denied the faith. Some Christians betrayed their families just to escape death. But the Lord says, you'll be hated, stand firm. Whatever comes your way, stand firm. For you and I today, while we wait for His coming, no matter how life, how tough life gets, how rocky it is, stand firm. If the world tells us to bow down to the God of sexuality, stand firm. If the world tells you to bow down to the God of career, stand firm. If the world tells you to bow down to the God of money, the God of self-gratification, stand firm. Don't bow down. Keep loving Jesus. Say no. Refuse to bow down. I was at a dinner party many years ago. You know, at my school, at the end of the, uh, the calendar year, we have these dinner parties with the parents just to celebrate the year. I was chatting to one One father. And as we were chatting, we were asking about what we do and who, who's our kid and what, what is life like on the weekend. And I mentioned to his father that I'm a pastor. And he, he leaned over, and I won't forget this night. He leaned over and he said to me, can I just interrupt you for one second? I said, yeah, sure. And he said to me, I think what you do is BS in my face. And I didn't hear the BS carefully. I just thought, oh, what are you talking about? And then he, he walked away he walked away and he he found another group of parents and he started talking to that group of parents and he left me alone. And I was shocked and I was so angry. But I shouldn't be surprised. I shouldn't be surprised because Jesus tells us that when you follow him in the last days, it's not going to be easy. There will be persecution. People will judge you. right? Your faith will be tested. People will say things about you, but you can still stand firm. You can still say yes to Jesus. People will think that you're crazy for going to church on Sunday and say, why are you here? You should be sleeping in. You should be at the beach. Enjoy yourself. It's still weather's fantastic. You can still stand firm and say, no, I choose to be here. People can say, well, why aren't you letting your kids just do what they want to do? Let the kids go and just stay overnight at the friend's house on Saturday and just sleep in on Sunday, you can still say, no, I'm going to get my kids to come to church. I can still stand firm. And that's something that we have to make as followers of Jesus. That when life gets very, very tough and there's persecution, we can still say, no, Jesus, I put you first. You're more important. You're still the one that I love. You're still the one that I'm pursuing. And you are always at the top. Of my list, that's standing firm. Friends, no matter how tough life gets, whatever's thrown at you, remember that God is in control. Stand firm. Know that your suffering is temporal. Stand firm. Know that all things work good for those who love Him. Stand firm. Know that to live is Christ, to die is gain. Stand firm. Know that you can rejoice all the time, no matter what suffering comes your way. Stand firm. And that's what we ought to do as Christians today. When you're out there and life gets a bit hard, because it's very easy here on a Sunday, because we're all here and we love the Lord and we sing and we serve and we smile and we pray. But when you get out there and life gets a bit hard, remember the words of our Lord. Stand firm. No matter how tough it is, stand firm. Philippians 4.1, I read, Therefore, my brothers and sisters... You whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. The book of Philippians is a book of suffering. They suffered as a community of God. But Paul says, stand firm. No matter how tough life gets, stand firm in the Lord. And for you and I today, as we wait for Him to come back, whatever life throws at you, don't give up. Amen? The second thing is this is to be a witness, to be a witness. Look at verse 10. And the gospel must be preached first to all nations. Now let's stop right there. This verse here, a lot of us read this verse and we get it wrong. I think over the years, a lot of Christians read this verse And have this theology that if the entire world hears of the gospel, Jesus will come back. Okay? I I remember thinking like that as well too. I remember someone saying to me, oh, a pastor or a preacher saying, if we had this supersonic microphone or megaphone and we can just preach the gospel and the entire world hears of Jesus, then he will return. Have you heard that before? See, the only problem with that theology... Right, is that it puts us in the driver's seat to determine when he returns. As if the creator God, the creator, would allow his creation to determine when he returns. I don't think that's what it means right there. I don't think God is like, okay, I'll leave it to you all down here and you get your act together, and then you just preach the gospel to everyone, and when every person on the face of the planet hears of me, I will come back. That is not the context here. The context is this, in Mark 13. Jesus says, things will get bad. It'll be very, very bad, all right? Some of you are gonna die, all right? Some of you are not gonna make it. No matter how bad things get, all right? You'll be persecuted, you'll be flogged, you'll be put in prison, You would die. Never forget the most important thing is the gospel. Never forget to keep preaching the gospel. Keep sharing it. Keep being a witness. That's the context of verse 10 right there. That no matter how crazy this world gets, don't be afraid to keep being a witness. Keep sharing the gospel message here. You and I, listen carefully. If you decide to follow Jesus, you will be harassed. There was a story of someone in, in Melbourne, who was, I guess, given a job as a CEO of a footy uh, you know, club, and they found out that he is on the chair of a church, and they said, look, we're not giving you the job. You know, you may lose your job because of your faith. Your friends at school may question, you know, your views on sexuality because of your faith. People may just question how you, you know, live out your days, It will be tough. But what we see in the word of God is here is that we should never let those things stop us from sharing the most important thing, which is the gospel. No matter how tough life gets, keep sharing Jesus. Keep sharing the gospel. The gospel is so precious, so beautiful. It is the hope for this broken world. Keep sharing it. That's the context right here. You know, when Jesus left, before he left this earth, what did he say in Acts chapter 1, verse 8? Go there with me. He says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my what? Witnesses in Jerusalem, of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He says that. He says that you will have power to be my witnesses. And the very last commandment of Jesus, when he left, before he was ascended, What did he say in Matthew 28? Go there with me. He says this, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Friends, the last command of Jesus in Matthew 28 should be our first priority to keep preaching Jesus no matter how tough life gets to keep sharing the gospel to be witnesses we have to do that and so when we belong to this community here all right and if you've come to know the the lord in this church here it's because i think someone shared the gospel message to you right if you've come to this church and you've already believed in jesus well I'm pretty sure someone shared the gospel message to you. Is that right? And because now you've received the gospel, it should not stop with you. That it needs to extend from you. We cannot be Christians where we go, yes, someone shared the gospel. They've witnessed Jesus to me. Yes, I've received Jesus. And you've just kept it here. We can't do that. It needs to extend from us that we are to be witnesses of Jesus no matter how tough life gets. We're to share Jesus. We're to testify of Jesus. And that's what Sun Life Church here. Our mission is to what? Make disciples. Make disciples. I planned this church 11 years ago with a desire to make disciples, not make comfortable Christians not make Christians who have received the gospel and says it's too tough and I'll just keep it here. I don't see that in the text. Jesus says it's going to get very difficult. It's going to get very, very difficult. Some of you will be flogged. Some of you will be locked away in prison. Some of you will die. But keep sharing the gospel. Keep being witnesses. And for Sun Life Church, my encouragement to you and for me as well, is that we have to get out there and keep sharing, being witness, no matter how tough it is. We should not be a church where we're just talking about it all the time, talking about it here on Sunday, talking about it in our connect groups. We're gonna get out there and give it a go. It's not gonna be easy, but we're gonna give it a go. We've got a message of hope for a dying world. Get out there, share it. It's not gonna be easy, do it. You might be persecuted, do it. They'll harass you. Do it. Be a witness. i got a picture here of my, my boys here. They've been playing basketball. And you're probably going, what's this got to do with being a witness? Good question. You know, they've just started playing basketball four weeks ago. Four weeks, competition, four weeks. Prior to that, they've never played. <laughs> they've never played against any opposition. They never put on a basketball top. Prior to that, they've been practicing in my driveway. Yeah, I've been showing them how to dribble, how to shoot, how to pass. The ring is actually not even the proper height, it's a lower ring, so they think they're really confident. Right, yeah. Showing them some moves to impress the ladies. Yeah, I've been showing them all this. But anyhow, they play their first game. Oh, they're so excited first game they're playing and they realize dad the ring is so high (laughs) they come home they complain they said to me i I can't even play the game i don't understand the rules i don't know how to get past the opposition i didn't know that you can steal the ball i didn't know that was called a carry and they didn't like it but now it's been four weeks And they're loving it. They're slowly understanding the rules and they know that that's a foul and they have five fouls and they can't do this and they've got to do that within a certain time frame. Here's my point. You know, we can talk a lot about being witnesses. I can share you about the reason why and we can talk about it in our small groups and I can talk about strategy into witnessing. But unless we throw ourselves out there and try it, you know, everything that we do here means nothing we could get out there leave the i guess the the safety of this church here and go out there with some opposition and try to win them all for jesus it's not going to be easy it's gonna be hard but if we stick at it you're gonna find actually i can do this i can do this you know we do not fail as a witness because someone said no to Jesus. We don't fail. We fail as a witness when we say no to sharing Jesus to people. That's when we fail. So get out there, play the game. It's not gonna be easy. Learn whilst you're out there. Get rejected, get harassed, get persecuted, but that's okay. And they may say no. And the person will think you're crazy and don't want to be part of this church or come to your connect group. That's okay. But you haven't failed. We fail when we say no to sharing. We don't fail when they say no to Jesus. Because what does Paul say? He says that we need to plant and someone may water it, but God is the one who ultimately makes it grow. So our job is not to see people say yes to Jesus. Our job is just to keep witnessing and pointing them to Jesus and let God do the work of salvation. So friends, get out there. Maybe this amazing season, Christmas, right? Where people are talking about Jesus, good chance to invite them over for a meal. And as the Spirit of God leads you, and He'll give you the words to say, tell them of this great news that God sent His Son to die for them as well. They may say, no, it's okay. But we are to be witnesses in the end times. Those two things for you to take home this morning. Stand firm. No matter how tough life gets, stand firm. Number two, be a witness. Share Jesus to this world. Let's not get comfortable, church. Let's not be a church where we exist for ourselves only. Let's be a church where we get out there and share this amazing gospel to as many people as possible. That's how we live with the end in mind. Because we don't know when he's going to come back. Amen? He may come back tonight. He may come back next week. He may come back in 100 years time. We just don't know. And we're not going to waste our time trying to figure out when. But whilst we wait, we're going to stand firm. And we will be witnesses of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much that um, you are coming back and you will return and we cannot wait for that day. But whilst we wait, whilst we live with the end in mind, God, help us to stand firm. Help us not to be shaken with whatever this world throws at us. Help us to be witnesses of Jesus that everyone, Lord, starting with our family, starting with the people on our streets, Lord, the people that we work with, that they also get to hear the gospel of Jesus, that there's a God who loves them so much. And Lord, help us, God, to learn uh, from those moments where we may get rejected, moments where it may seem difficult. Help us to have that resilience, not to give up, but to keep sharing, to keep living as salt and light in our community. So God, would you bless Sun Life Church? Will you use her this Christmas season to stand firm, To say no to worldly things, but say yes to the spiritual things. To be witnesses of Jesus, no matter what comes our way. So Lord, would you bless us as we finish off this year. May we finish off this year on a high as we prepare for what will be an amazing year in 2023. Bless us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.